0: that everybody knows what you know. And I know that as a preacher, especially, you have to stop and remember that just because you preached your sermon, you know, 17 years ago, you might need to preach something along that line again. And and so uh, talking about raising children, for some of you, this is old hat. This is basic. This is uh, 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 something that is well-established in you. But you have to appreciate that not everybody thinks that way or understands these principles. And uh, not only that, the world is different today than it was even 25 years ago. And it's particularly in the raising of children. You know, we just had this uh, big news this week where the, uh, uh, the, you know, the United Kingdom, actually England, voted to leave the European Union. And this was a huge deal. And there are a number of reasons they did it. But one of them, as something that I remember going back, I think it was in 2006, I was in England and I was uh, uh, doing seminars for pastors there. And uh, uh, I don't remember what I did, one of the classes that I did, but I opened it up for questions. And a pastor's wife lifted her hand and said that the European Union has just outlawed spanking and wanted to know my opinion, what should we do having to raise our kids? And so um, uh, I said, I don't remember what I said, but uh, uh, something to the effect of, yeah, your kids are going to need discipline. Something to that effect. Maybe those weren't my exact words, but, uh, uh, you know, and so the issue was that society had changed around them. And uh, people in Belgium were deciding how a parent in England can raise their kids. And so uh, it was one of the things that drove, I think, that vote was the fact that people didn't like the government to have so much interference in their lives and in their convictions. And so here we are today. The average uh, uh, 10, 11-year-old in America today has uh, access to the internet, has social media, has a phone, you, uh, many, many, many children, uh, the parents say, go to your room. They go to a room with an Xbox or a, a, some sort of a gaming system, uh, unfettered access to everything that's on the Internet, a satellite television with 200 stations. And, uh, and so kids today are being raised different than they were years ago. And so we must help establish, I believe, uh, some Christian principles on how to raise children and if you're a parent and you have small children or you are a young person who is still yet to have your kids, it's very important you know what you do to do when they, when, they, when they come and how to help them. There are no perfect parents. Can you say amen? Okay, if you're here today and your son or daughter is an adult and they're living for God, then you ought to fall on your face and cry out, thou art worthy, O Lord. Can you manage just say, "Amen, don't write a book about how you raised a perfect kid. You didn't, God helped you." But there are principles that I believe are helpful uh, to us, and uh, we just want to go over them. And another reason why I'm doing this is because we had some very you know, at the conclusion of these Sunday schools, I walked down, and then people come to me and give me these tremendous insights. Uh, that I knew would benefit you, and I wanted to leave room for some of those uh, uh, this morning but let's let 's start right here. I mentioned the other day uh, when we were talking about a uh, comment Dr. Dobson had mentioned in one of the earlier classes about a letter he had received from a a young man or, or i 'm sorry from a woman who uh, was describing her son, who was absolutely out of control to the point where the father wouldn 't Take him anywhere where he had become a menace at school. He had caused all kinds of destructive behavior, and and James Dobson had made the statement that he wished that he could have a crack at this boy, because he said what is happening is this boy is looking for someone to love him, and is looking for someone to accept the challenge of paying attention to him and rein him in and his his uh, conduct was an effort to say, is there anybody in this world who loves me enough to confront me? And that he wanted this challenge. I, I was so moved that when I spoke to our drill instructors uh, on the Monday night, I always speak to our drill instructors and do, preach a little message to them. And I used that story that in, in boot camp, that, that they have to accept the challenge of, of being disciplinarians to these kids and, and so um, uh, I want to read Proverbs 13 uh, 24 and uh, I, I want to just kind of use it as a launch pad this morning we're going to just talk about uh, discipline uh, Proverbs 13:24, 24 and uh, we got a reader Tony Cervantes would you read that for us
1: He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. He who
0: spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him promptly. And so uh, I, I just want to share a few thoughts. We're going to open it up. We're going to use this time to have some, some good contribution. And, and so now the first thing that I want you to, to remember is that if you're, when you're raising your children, that discipline is an expression of love. Discipline is an expression of love. The thing about this verse of Scripture is it includes two of the most important words in the English language love and hate. You find them in this passage of Scripture, and, uh, and you know, we, we think about that because many times people, when they think about discipline or spanking or corporal punishment, they don't think about it in the context of, of a love and hate issue. They think about it in terms of tradition or in terms of social acceptance or perhaps feelings. But, you know, here's this this blanket statement that it really does come down to an issue of love and hate. And, and, uh, you know, it's very, very important. And so it's a mentality and a belief that this is a much bigger issue than many people understand. They treat it lightly. They don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, I I have been alarmed of late uh, as I meet kids uh, or meet people I know raised. I knew their parents. I remember when these kids were born. I've seen them, uh, how they were raised, and and then get to have their children and just kind of say, I don't care what anybody says, I'm not going to spank my kid. And they'll say that and, uh, and uh, you know, you're like, well, wh- what happened? How did this happen? Well, no longer do they see it as an expression of love. They don't see discipline the way the Bible teaches that discipline is. And part of the conviction of discipline being an act of love is the idea that a child who is not disciplined is going to have problems. Proverbs 22:15. 15. In fact, I should give out these verses here this morning. Doris, get that. Josh Steele, if you can get Proverbs 11, uh, 24. And anybody else want to read this morning? Ashley, Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. And uh, one more. Proverbs, or Psalms 23, verse 4, Dan Yoder. Okay, uh, go ahead, Doris, read that for us. Proverbs 11:24. 24. No, I'm sorry, Proverbs 22, 15.
2: Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive
0: it far from him. Okay, so the the conviction is this, that my beautiful little son or daughter is filled with foolishness. It's bound up inside of them. They may look darling and cute in the photos when you drop them in the middle of all the blue bonnets and everything else, but the truth is that down in their little hearts is foolishness. Down in their little hearts, we don't have time to do a study of the word fool in the Bible. There, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, right? We know that a fool, uh, is, the Bible says, is going to end up in the correction of the stocks, meaning society is going to end up disciplining those whom the parents won't discipline. You know, and so we, we, we have all that. I'm not going to have time to go into it. But this, the idea is this, that if you're going to discipline your children, it's going to be because there's this conviction that they've got some st- stuff inside them. And if I allow that to go unchecked, that is going to veer them far from the, their potential. All the good, all the, the good seeds sown in their life will be lost if the tares that have been sown by the enemy called sin and the curse, are allowed to just flourish. And so a parent has to start with that right there. They have to start with that conviction that this beautiful little child has this in them. Hence, I must begin to establish some boundaries and some structure and some order. I must limit them when they are going off. I must check them and keep them on track because it is in them. This is a problem. Sometimes parents do not believe they, you know, that uh, the, the whole thing about being good—that man is naturally good and this world corrupts. That's not true. Men are naturally evil. Amen. Some I mean, of you don't believe me today. Uh, cancel. Give them nursery. Hand that. Let them have the nursery, and they'll be totally convinced by the end of the day. Selfishness abounds in children. What's the child's first two words? No and mine. This is inside of us. And a parent says, okay, that being there, then I have a responsibility to do this. Why? Because I love my child. Um, The scripture says right here that... um, He who spares his rod hates his son. And that's what the word means. It means to hold back. It means to restrain. It means that a parent didn't do everything they could to help that child. They spared the rod. That they could have done more. Discipline is proactive. It means you're paying attention. Means that you're staying on task. A lot of times, the reason why parents don't discipline is not so much that they don't believe that children need discipline, or they're not necessarily against the idea of corporal punishment or spanking a child. The real issue is they don't—they just don't want to stay on task. They have a very passive approach to raising their children. They just don't really pay attention. Until the child finally pushes their button and usually you end up in the cycle. Dr. Dobson talked about where well, you people get so mad and now they've lost their temper and now they're throwing chakras uh, and uh, they're frustrated and they're angry and all that. And usually that's the product of the fact that they don't want to stay on task and stay on top of the situation to make these kids, uh, 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 you know, behave and stay with it, and so they, they, they don't, and so you, you hold back, and you, you withhold what is necessary. Uh, the verse, uh, uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four kind of gives us a little insight into this.
3: There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than what is right, and it leads to pro- poverty.
0: Okay, the word spare there is the same Hebrew word in this verse for withhold one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Now, in that verse, it's talking about money, that the miser, the saver, never is blessed as much as the one who's a giver and who's generous. But the word there is just not just about money. The word has to do with the idea that you could have done more than you did. That sparing the rod is the idea that you could have done more. You could have paid more attention. You could have, you could have done this, that this. This child is, is like a person who needs money and needs food. And you had the ability to give it to him, but you chose not to. And that person suffered and you suffered. And, and it's the same idea that it's the idea that you could have paid more attention to your kid. You, you could have check them. You could have disciplined, you, you, all these things, but you just didn't do it. And they've suffered as a result, and eventually you will suffer also. That, that there's this conviction that this is necessary, and they need this. There's foolishness bound up inside of them, and if I don't do this, then uh, bad things are going to happen. I've shared before uh, in this church the story of Robert Courtney he is the uh, pharmacist in Kansas City, Missouri, who was part of the original idea of mass-producing um, chemotherapy doses. And he realized that if we could do this, mass-produce it, and then we could ship it off around the country. And, uh, and he did this, but what happened is he, he had a little financial problem in his business and he started thinking about how to cut back, and he made the decision to dilute the chemotherapy and not tell anybody. And so he started administering doses of chemotherapy, but it was diluted. But the problem you know when you're fighting cancer, you can't afford to dilute, that it requires full effect. It requires the very best, and he didn't do that. And I remember when I was reading about this, I read some articles about people who were praising him, cancer patients who were praising him because they said they didn't have the side effects that a normal dosage of chemotherapy would bring. And they thought this guy's a miracle worker and everything because normally when, when people go through chemotherapy, your body rejects it and you know, all kinds of terrible things happen to you. And yet his doses didn't seem to do it. Well, guess why? because it wasn't working and he was sued and not only was he sued he ended up going to prison because you know to deal with it you have to use the full dose the Apostle Paul says our gospel isn't watered down and and so the idea being that when you're raising your children you have to give them the full dose you cannot withhold anymore and that all begins with conviction that there's foolishness in them, I love them. And therefore, I am going to discipline them. Okay, one other verse, and then we'll open it up. Hebrews twelve five through eight.
4: And and you have forgotten the extortion which speaks to you as two sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged for when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and scours every son
0: whom He receives. Okay, the Bible says, uh, keep going, one more.
4: If you endure a chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten?
0: Okay, so it's very clear here in, in the book of Hebrews. That one is that this is an expression of love. The Bible says uh, these words, that whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. That's, that's very, very clear. That if, if, if this is an expression of love, it is an expression of sonship. And that is discipline in their lives. And, and then it adds this little uh, comment, what son is there whom a father doesn't chase him? And, and, and so the reason why I bring that up is, remember, this is written 2,000 years ago. Some people think that it was written by Barnabas. But it was accepted in society back then that sons get disciplined by their fathers. That's a rhetorical question. What son does not get chastened by his father? And so generally accepted by, everyone who would have read that would have said, you know, you're right. You're right, of course. A father's job is to discipline his son. And and 2,000 years ago, everybody would have read that and say, how many know that's not the truth anymore? It's no longer generally accepted that a father disciplines his son as an expression of love. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says to us that this is what the Father in heaven does for you and I. Everybody here that served God has been disciplined by the Father in heaven. How many of you, you know, say that? I mean, when we say, well, what does that mean? Well, anybody here ever gone through a trial that was... Uh, Uh, self-inflicted. You know, discipline, sometimes people think discipline, they see it only in a purely on a human level. Well, a lot of times, trials are self-inflicted. The Father in heaven who loves us says, you know what, I'm going to afflict you because you are going astray. But now, you've kept my word. And so he, he will, he cares about us. He cares about us to draw boundaries in our life, to let us, eat the fruit of our own nonsense because he loves us. And, and so, you know, the larger context there, persecution has arisen in the church. Things are coming down and uh, some of the Christians are freaking out and, and he's making a case through the entire book about staying faithful during the persecution. And one of the arguments that he makes is right here. Hey, the Father who loves us will be, let us be disciplined. Will let us be Afflicted. Discipline is an expression of love. And if you are going to discipline your children, you have to begin, this is not hate. This is not cruelty. This is love because in their little hearts is foolishness that will cause them harm. Okay, let's open it up here. Uh, Oscar, Jaime, I see Doris and Michelle. Let's, uh, let's open it up for a few minutes.
1: Okay, so I was one of those kids that grew up where the chancla was thrown at you, and uh, you know dad swinging the belt around all crazy and stuff like that. So uh, it was kind of com- you know it's comical now when I mean, you think about it. But um, I think one of the things is that I, I well, first of all, I so appreciate learning about discipline once I got saved and how to do it correctly because I immediately applied that to my children, and we did it properly the way we were taught here at church. And the reason why I say this because I think a lot of times. We tend to look back to what we grew up in, and we think that, well, discipline. And we reflect back to how that was, and we think, well, I don't want, I don't want to do that to my kid, you know, because I mean, my mom had those, I mean, those Mexican chanclas of wood <laughs> with the tire tread underneath. You know what I mean? It was like the heavy duty ones, and so you kind of like. You, People think about discipline, they, they reflect back to that. And they're like, no way I'm not going to do that to my kid. But if, if you embrace how to do it properly, you will see the
0: results. Yeah, okay, good. Doris?
2: Um, I'm going to go right on Oscar, too. I'm not having any kids. I'm talking about as a child. I was, I was in kindergarten, and I'll never forget, this traumatized my life. And um, I was in for the first half of the day, and my dad was in the military, so he came home for lunch. And my mom wasn't home, and so he came home while I got the mail um, when the mailman came. And so my, I, I see my dad from down the, a couple houses down, and so I run home, Daddy, Daddy, and he's in his office checking his mail, and then he's like, Who, who opened this mail? And he went ballistic, and it was something that said to the parents of Doris and Bradlesford, and it was a basically a PTA thing or something. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm kindergarten, okay? I had no idea. I was excited. I saw my name on it. But my dad took me into the living room, pulled my pants down, put me over his lap, took his 40, 42 inch size belt off, and whipped the daylights out of me. And when my mom came home later on, I turned the tears on, and you know, and and then made her, you know, yell at him, and they fought, and then he took me off ice cream later on. But the whole point was. Is that because my father didn't explain to me, and I'm going off what James Dobson said the other day, is to explain, you know what I mean, versus like, I didn't know it was wrong. I just saw my name. But that's the one and only time my father ever in my whole life in kindergarten spanked me. And it was only because at that point I started lying and, and, and I would sneak and do things, you know, not to get caught. And stuff. so when I needed that discipline in my life, I didn't get it, you know, because I was fearful of my father, not because I, and I knew and I lived for years with guilt, knowing I lied, I stole, I did all sorts of things I shouldn't have done, but because I couldn't look to my father to know that I was getting disciplined out of love. Because you wanted to teach me something. It was always staying at attention when I talked to you and all that kind of stuff. But never, I'm trying to teach you something. This is why you don't do it. So you don't do it again. Now I just, I was just sneaky and I was a liar and stuff. And so when I really needed it growing up all those years and not having made those mistakes for the rest of my life, it could have been that one point. I never forgot it. I hated my dad. I mean, I, I prayed with my dad. He got saved. But at that point. I had hated my dad for years, and I—I I mean, so much I wanted to kill him at one point and stuff. So it's just you know th- that relationship with a father. You
0: okay. Know, so, anyway. right. Okay. So, uh, I, so here you know, you know, it's interesting because everybody here was raised by parents different ways, and so every parent here who's raising your children says, "Okay, this what our sister's saying is true." So uh, you don't, uh, you know, there's a child steps out of line, particularly when they're small and they don't understand that you're walking them through that this is an expression of love. Okay, this is not uh, uh, dad is mad, you know, or mom is mad, but that this is, this is, this is what it is. I, I'll give you a little bit of advice uh, and that is that you want to, insofar as you can, to let your kids know you can tell me anything. Okay? and not live like this it, sometimes that can be hard because you don't want to hear everything and you may not know and, and uh, you know, uh, you know I, uh, but if, if you have this incredible expectation level on your children then what they'll do is they'll simply try to uh, uh, meet what you want from them without really letting you know where they are This is an issue of boot camp, big time. You know, there are parents who won't send their kids to boot camp because they don't want their kids to open up. I've had had kids come and say to me, my my parents told me you can go only if you promise not to open up to anybody. Because they have this expectation, and they don't want facts to get in the way of their expectations. And, And so being able to sit down, particularly when they're small, And be able to say to them, okay, do you understand why I'm spanking you? Okay, not you're mad, you're angry, and just grab them and whip, but do you understand why? I told you not, you're not to do this, and you did it. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm teaching you boundaries and taking the time. You can do that with a small child, and they will understand. Okay, but if it's just a a moment of rage, and they walk away, and all they think is that you just got mad. Dad came home in a bad mood. Her mom just, you know, and 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 it could have absolutely a negative effect. Okay.
5: Uh, pretty much the same thing. I want to just piggyback on what she said. Um, I grew up with a perfect family until the age of twelve or eleven when my father left. And um, after that, it was just chaos. We started having, you know, stepfathers, and it was negative after negativity. Um. It was always pointing out the bad in us. Never nothing good. And now that I'm in a blended family, I go back and I think about that. And it's I have four daughters, four beautiful daughters, who are, I'm blessed with that are very mannered. And they crave that love and affection, of course. And the same thing, you know, I think I this is what I believe. You know, I rarely have to discipline my children in spanking them. But the more we love them, the more we acknowledge them and let them know, like, hey, you're doing a great job. Acknowledge them it's going to be a better outcome than constantly just pointing out the bad in them. And that's what I tell my husband, like if we just acknowledge them more and just let them know the good things, it will be a better outcome than constantly just, you know, Hey, that's not good. Hey, don't do that. Hey, you're doing bad, you know, and not explaining to them why you're spanking them or disciplining them. So
0: it's pretty much okay. the same thing. Very good. See one, you have to believe that the rod is necessary. The rod is part of the process. And, um, and being God's tool of correction is a challenge. Because n- n- nobody likes to correct. You know, this idea that people take pleasure in, in doing this. The truth is that a parent who loves their son or daughter isn't doing it because they have derived pleasure from doing it, but because they know it's necessary that it, it, sometimes it gets in the way. You can have a, a plans, you're going out, you're going to do something, you're going to have a good time. And then, and then uh, one of the children does something that rises to the level that it needs to be corrected. It's like, you know, you don't want to do that. You just want to be, be happy, be, you know, have a good time and not want to deal with it. But you realize this is necessary and I'm going to have to admin, take the time to administer correction. Now, we all want the results when they're 15 years old and uh, you can go to bed at night and not worry that they're climbing out the, you know, the window. Well, I mean, the, the liberty. Listen, and I'm speaking to younger parents here right now. You've still got small kids. I'm going to tell you something. When you, you can, when they're teenagers and you can sleep at night, when they're not running away or they're responsible enough where you say, you know what, uh, your mother and I are going to a marriage retreat and you know that they're mature enough that they're going to just take care of business and you, 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 they release you in a way that you, you have no idea unless you've been with a parent who uh, is tormented in their mind whenever their kids aren't around because they don't know what they're doing. Let's telling you the truth. And and so you, you you to you have to say okay then this is necessary right now. The rod isn't the little the little uh, you know uh, instrument. You know listen very quickly. Uh, I do not recommend that you spank with that. You never sl- strike a kid in the face. You never do. That is not discipline. That is a reaction. Okay, your hands are meant to be a source of blessing in the Bible. You lay hands on your children as a a source of blessing. Okay, I'm not like, oh man, I got mad and I pumped the bottom. I'm a terrible parent. But it's good to have, especially with small children, an instrument, some sort of instrument that you use that the children identify with punishment. Everybody here who's had small children and you've done that, you know that all you got to do is pick up the bald man's hairbrush and and that two year old immediately knows, and I sees that as an instrument of discipline, and so you can establish these things in their life. This is the role of the parent. Listen to this verse: Psalms twenty three, verse four.
6: Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me.
0: Now, you know, this is David's uh, psalm. He's the shepherd, and he's got the revelation that just as I'm a shepherd of these sheep, God is my shepherd. And he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, all the threats that are out there, you know, uh, the, the, the wolves, the natural enemy of the sheep that smell the flock and draw near and are just on the periphery. And as they're they're making their way through. This little lamb is, is, is well aware that the wolves are out there lurking. And he's scared, but he's safe in the, uh, with the shepherd, with the rod and the staff. And it's interesting because he was secure in the fact that if I start to drift, the shepherd is going to use the rod to keep me in line. And that gave him security. The discipline made him feel secure. See what we're being told is, well, you know, if you spank your children, you're always gonna be insecure, they're gonna absolutely the opposite. Raised where there's discipline makes children feel safe. It makes them feel secure that they're living within boundaries that are enforced. Because they don't just believe that it keeps them from going out, it keeps others from coming in. It gives them a sense of security. And knowing that there was a shepherd who, if I start putting myself in harm's way, is going to step in and administer the rod to me makes me feel safe. I remember reading about an inner city school where there had been some shootings nearby and this school was so old, it didn't have a fence. It was just kind of part of the the neighborhood back when the neighborhood was nice. And so the district decided to put a... a, uh, uh, fence around the school and the, the, the scores of the kids began to improve. And just by that fence and they reasoned because these kids just felt safe. They felt secure and in a secure environment they were able to stay on task more and, and improve that they didn't see the boundary as inhibiting them. Like, "Oh no, I mean, we can't do this, and you're closing us in, and you're controlling us. And you know what I mean, they didn't, they didn't see it that way at all. To them, that made them feel safe. And where children feel safe, children thrive. And so when we administer discipline, we create this sense of security in their lives. And doesn't make now, again, if you're disciplined out of a temper. You discipline, or you slap children, You're. you you're, you're, you're not. You're not going to uh, communicate that. But when a parent stays on task, explains what they're doing, follows through, and stays consistent with them, you're creating a safe environment for these children. And in an atmosphere of safety, people thrive. That's true. Human people. Human beings want security. And when they can feel secure, and you can avoid all that. I'm going to start a new class next week on leadership. And I can tell you, if you can create an atmosphere of security, human beings thrive. Your marriage thrives. Your children thrive. Your church thrives. Anything you do, it creates a perfect environment for people to grow and develop. But that doesn't happen by not administering discipline, but by administering it the right way. Okay, we got David, we got Ruby, and Paula Valley.
3: I guess this is more of a agree or disagree kind of deal, question, Um, and I get asked this a lot. You know, we're talking about raising our kids at a certain age, but sometimes you have parents that they miss that. They miss that opportunity. Their kids, they never spanked, because, oh, I got spanked when I was little, and I don't want to do that. And so they come into the church, church, the kids are already like 10, 12, and so they've passed that important years. And so they're, they're like asking, you know, oh, so do I, do, can I still do that? Can I go, is it too late? And, and, I, and I get asked that a lot, because the Hispanic culture, it's like, you're under my roof, you know, you're going to get the discipline no matter what. And I grew up in that, too. As long as you're under my roof, the guidelines are here and there. But I had the opportunity to raise mine when they were young. So, I guess, agree or disagree, do you think it's would be still okay, even if they're at older age, begin to begin to apply those principles?
0: Okay, very good question, David, because, as I said, we are a convert-driven church. So, we don't just have a bunch of families, right? We, we are uh, we're bringing people constantly that are in, and you're right. And so... It raises a very good question. Uh, get a mic to Jerry Hemper here. I'm going to ask Jerry a question. Um, the, the, um, uh, the issue of when children are older. Okay, now we have young families. We're saying install this in them when they're small. And if you do, you very rarely have to discipline them as they get older. That's, that's ideal and that's how it works, but that's not the real world. The real world is people come in, a lot of times by the time the kid's 10 years old, they've seen who knows what, right? Uh, and there's no order or discipline. And now a parent comes in and they want to try to re- get that. Let me just say, it's very, very difficult to try to implement uh, a structured discipline in the context of corporal punishment or spanking when a child gets beyond the age of 10. Very, very difficult to try to make up for lost ground. You're going to have to find what works when it comes to children. I do not recommend that you try to discipline children beyond the age of 10 years old, physically. Okay, I'm saying that up front and I'm saying that for your own sake because these kids at 10 years old go to school and they all know you can call CPS and and, uh, you find yourself in a situation where it can spin out of your control. And so this is why if you've got small children, establish this in them. They're older, you have to find what works, what uh, you can do to kind of establish that. An intentive parent is number one because you can still stay on top of them and help them. And uh, we're assuming God's doing something in your life and you want to bring that into their life. And so, but, that, but it takes time and you're going to have to figure out what works. The reason why I, I wanted to, Jerry had talked to me after one of the Sunday schools. I had somebody ask me this. This is very common. A lot of blended families. So you have a situation sometimes where one family attends church, there's structure, uh, there's discipline, there are rules, and the child is there and things are great. Then they go with the other family that doesn't go to church, that it's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, the entertainment, social media, uh, movies, uh, highly sexualized, all kinds of things that are going on. And a child goes and they, 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 they're in this, and then they come back into this home, and now it's structure and it's discipline. And if not careful, pretty soon a kid views the Christian home as a penal colony. Huntsville. And they see it as being very strict. And then somebody asked me, one of the questions somebody asked me one day, is they said, I, I have a, there's a stepchild involved. They're with this family. And they said, here's your phone. And that phone's filled with all the apps and all the social media. And then they bring it over here to this house. And the parent has said, that's my phone. I bought it for him. And you have nothing no say so about it. This is very common. And so you're in your home and you're like, what do, what's, what do I do with a child who comes into this home and in this home they have something that they brought in from this home that's totally against the rules here, but yet they, they, that's the parent. And they said, I've done, you have no right to take their phone. You have no right to do this. And so anyway, I, I spoke uh, to uh, Jerry and he, he's, uh, as you know, police Officer, But not just that, but he actually worked in this area regarding uh, cyber security and things and so jerry why don 't you just kind of take it from there
7: okay the parents in both households have the right to enforce their rules on the children and uh, in, in all matters, except for what 's specifically excluded in the uh, the court orders for custody and visitation. that includes any any property that comes over with a, the child during a visitation or returning home, uh, the parent who's in control of that house, uh, as soon as a child can walk in, the parent can take away any property they have and everything and, and either set it aside, send it back to the parent that's dropping that child off, includes telephones. It's it's oftentimes used, in a lot of the cases I've worked with, it's used as something to that one parent will send into the other house to Cause problems uh, you know you have to let my son be able to call me whenever I want and I have to be able to call him whenever I want regardless of what you're doing with the family and interrupt everything you're doing and so you know it, the, the parent who's has that child coming into the house with that phone or that media device or whatever it is has every right to say right here at the door you you hand that over to me you know and, and you're not touching that the entire time you're here and you know it, depending on how the, the child exchange goes, you even have the right to give it back to that other parent and say, sure, you bought it for them, but it's not coming in this house. And that, that goes with clothes, that goes with devices, it goes with everything. Uh, the, the, you know Both parents in their house have full rights over that child. Okay. All right. Uh, real quick,
0: Ashley, right here.
4: from a blended family I've, I've dealt with that specifically um, but it goes back to God I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I had uh, my ex-husband was very against God the woman he married was even more against God but I have prayed and prayed and prayed and God has delivered um, I've seen a complete turnaround of him the kids have been praying for him he's even came into church so much. And so God does move. I mean, blended families are hard, but God moves. You can't ever give up. You have to continue praying. You have to keep contending for your kids. And you have to keep contending for your ex-husband, ex-wife, because they are their kids. That's, that's their, their, their father, their mother. You have to continue to pray for them. And God does move, because I went through those exact same issues. I came in when the kids got here. They were past the point of toddlers, of spanking. But yet I had to make some hard decisions on spanking. And I still had to at certain times. But at at all times, it wasn't always the right time to spank. I had to take other things away. Their, their, whatever their money was, I had to take that away and I had to learn to adapt. But God was good through the whole, all of it. God always continued to give me wonderful people of the church behind me to, to say, no, no, you can do this and encourage me, gave me wonderful leadership that said, no, you're still on the right path. And because of that, I have great kids. I mean, I have fantastic kids that go from one household to the other, they understand my rules and, I have to say, my kids, I think, feel the more, most safe at my house because I have hard rules, and they know that they're safe in my household because I have very strict rules of phones. I mean, their, their phones have to stay downstairs. I mean, they do have their phones, but they have to stay downstairs. They can't go into their, their rooms. And so, because of that, I think I've, I've risen above, you know, all the challenges that the world has given.
0: Okay, very good. Ruby.
8: just had a little story. Um, one day, Aiden and Seth and I, we were driving in the car, and we were talking about discipline, and it, it was just a conversation. And Seth, he's kind of funny, and so he's like, well, uh, if we were in public school, we wouldn't be able to get spanked because that's abuse. And I was like, no, actually, when Jared was in junior high, I gave written permission to the principal to paddle him because he was acting up so much, and she would call us to go spank him at school because she didn't want to do it herself and so she would let us into the office close the door and we'd spank him we only had to do it twice he stopped acting up <laughs> but uh, but I said so no it's it's really not abuse you know just spanking." and then I was telling him about our neighbor of ours in Houston that uh their kid he was real mischievous he wasn't like he he didn't do like you know gross sins but he was just very mischievous and so one day his dad tied him to a tree outside And he's out there going, hello, I got to pee, you know. And so Seth goes, now that's abuse. And I said, well, that one, it depends on who your neighbors are. Like none of us told, you know. (laughs) And so, so he's like, okay. So he's a little lawyer. So he's always thinking like, how can I get the upper hand here? So we were at a shoe store after that, right before conference. And there was these two parents with their kids. There were two kids. And they were acting up so bad. They were throwing fits. They were on the floor. The little girl because she wasn't getting the shoes she wanted started growling at her mother and it was really really bad and it was just Seth and I at the store and he she had
0: a, she had a shoe demon <laughs>
8: yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I've seen those before yeah.
8: <laughs> well it's Seth wanted to spank somebody he's like I don't I don't know if you want to spank the parents or the kids but he's like somebody needs a spanking here you know and so he he came up to me he's like mom thank you so much for spanking us Hallelujah. like I'm so glad you do you know
0: all right good Dan did you have your hand up was was there a third hand was there a third hand yeah it was okay short story but um
6: i remember i went over to my friend's house i was like about 13 or 14 at this time and uh i think i stayed over at his house and his him and his mom got into an argument and uh but i mean he was like shoving her against the wall this was this was this was normal operation for them You know, and so I I, and I was learning that right then. But that that's how they conducted themselves. He would shove her against the wall, and and if he, you know, they would almost like wrestle. And I remember I felt really uh, unsafe and scared, like I was going to have to come to rescue rescue his mom from him. And so you know, I pulled him aside and kind of you know, and this is I you know, barely saved you know, like maybe in the Baptist church. So I'm not you know, but so I you know pulled him aside and you know. I was asking the man, what are you doing? He says, oh, yeah, that's how, that's, you know, he was relating to me, this is how we uh, resolve our issues, this is normal. But I remember the feeling, it was just, I felt like, like you're standing on like really uncertain ground or something, you know, you're in the hallway and you're watching somebody who's 12 or 13, and, you know, his mom was not real tall. You know, shoving her against the wall. The, the wall and um, i want to do this and wrestling her, holding her wrist. And he's like, God, do I need to come to the rescue of the mom?
0: And for him to say, this is how we, this is how we resolve our issues. Yeah. <laughs> how many moms want that with your kids? That, that you want them to be raised. This is how we do it. And so it's very important. We establish it. Go back to verse, uh, chapter thirteen, verse twenty-four, or Proverbs thirteen twenty-four. Last thing I want to mention. R- r- let me read it to you again. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. He that loveth chasten him. And the most important word I think in this whole passage is the word "be times." We don't use the word "be times" anymore, but it literally means at dawn. It means when the sun rises. And so the idea there, you know, other translations use the word promptly, but the word there actually suggests do it when they're little, at dawn. That doesn't mean every morning when you get up and spank them, because the Bible says, <laughs> um, what, I'm, gonna, I'm spanking you for everything you're going to do, all right? It means that there's... Take the opportunity because the window is small. Like David was saying, when they come in later, it's a lot more difficult. That doesn't mean they're not lost causes. They're not at all. That's what we call salvation and ministry. I'm going to throw this in here. You know, we have wonderful Sunday school teachers. We have wonderful Sunday school teachers that want to pay attention and help your kids. We have a great ground zero ministry for the kids that are from between 6th and 8th grade. They, you know, if you will have your son or daughter go to that, they have implemented a curriculum now where they're going to talk to your son and daughter about why we, we don't come from monkeys. They're going to teach why do bad things happen. Why, and they go through 10 issues of life that are very practical, that those kids will understand. They will have scriptures, but put them in there. Don't let your son, oh, that's not cool. I'm bored. Now, they're like, they're really locked into the sermons here. Put them in there. Take advantage of the structure, the children's church, the ministry, the teen Bible study. Put them in that environment where God can help them. Does that take the place of the parent? Absolutely not. But they are there to help you and minister. Support the leaders of these ministries too, by the way, uh, when your kid comes home and points a finger at them. Have the back of the adult that's trying to help your kid. But very, very important because dawn. do it now. Because once you get past that, it's much more difficult to take care of it and and to respond. Okay, Mike, I'm gonna let you have the last comment. I know we talked earlier, go ahead.
1: So being that 2016 is a generation of a lot of fatherless homes, um, should that child or person look for their missing parent, whether it be a mother or a father?
0: Okay, so uh, I'll give a little bit of background, okay, Mike? So and that is that we talked about this, and the question was, you know, there are a lot of kids who grow up and they don't really know who their parent is. They're not sure. That's unfortunate. See, this is the side that Hollywood doesn't show you, right? When they make the the videos and all that stuff, and nobody ever thinks about consequences. Well, consequence is that you have children born without, bio, without who knowing who their father and mother are. And so as they get a little bit older, the question was, should a child go looking for that parent? And, uh, and so we talked about it, and I said, hey, we got to bring that up in, in, in the Bible study. And, and so... Uh, you know we we're running out of time so only got a couple minutes here but i want to just say number one that if a child it's really up to that child over the years i have seen people who absolutely wanted and needed to know and uh, went through all the resources that were necessary because they felt like i just need to know who i am where i'm from and they actively went to find not to so much to reconnect and try to create that but just just because they wanted to know other people have been completely um, uh, satisfied that they don't have to do that. They don't feel the need for that. You know, the the question arose because sometimes people, well-meaning people will say, no, you need to go find them. Or tell others, no, 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 don't go find them. I don't think that that's necessarily good advice either way. I think that deep down it's up to that particular individual to say, do I really need to go and find my father? I, uh, years ago, Yolanda and I pioneered in Houston, and one of the first guys in the church, he, he, he was a real dynamic guy, and he, he brought in a lot of the first few people in our church. Uh, and, uh, you know, years later, we left. He kind of, he, he moved and all this stuff, and I was back in Houston preaching, and he heard that I was back in town. He was back in town. And he came and he found me, came to the revival meeting, and, and we just caught up and we talked, but he had changed his name his last name and I was well, what happened and he explained to me well I just wanted to go find my father and he and he went and he found him and and he took his he took his uh, biological father's name and you know and he just said you know this was something that was always in me to do this and so I said that's cool I respect that at the same time you know sometimes people don't don't need that and, and, I, I will, uh, and I will close with this. We know Psalm 68 says that he is the father to the fatherless. And uh, there's this old story about Ben Hooper, the teenage boy in a small town there in Tennessee who, who uh, never knew his father. He was tormented by that. And uh, he uh, would walk through the streets and he'd see men and there were always these rumors who his dad was. And so he would see these men and he would wonder and what happened is a, a revival broke out. This little church, this pastor came into town, this revival, pretty soon he got swept into the revival, got saved, but he was very socially uh, insecure because of not knowing his father. So he, he, he had answered the altar call and then left before people could talk to him. And he would come back to church and he would always time it that as soon as the service was over, he would leave so he didn't have to talk to anybody. And so one service, uh, pastor preached a sermon and he went forward and it was that prayer and he was so caught up in praying that he lost track of time and next thing you know service was over and now he was stuck behind a crowd of people trying to leave the building and he was kind of nervous and he felt a hand on his shoulder and he turned around and it's the pastor and the pastor the first thing the pastor says is son who's your father he's like oh man i can't believe he asked that so who's your father, boy? And, 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 and he didn't know. He was looking at him. And then he said, I know who your father is. And now he's like, oh, my goodness. You know, he, who, yeah, I've wanted to know this all my life. Who's, and he goes, you know who your father is, boy? And he goes, God is your father. And, 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 and he says, for some reason, that truth just hit him. And he walked out of that church a different person. And later on, Ben Hooper told that story. And uh, he was at a breakfast, eating breakfast. He told some stranger, and he laughed. And the waitress walked up to this stranger and said, "You know, you're just talking to you. That's the governor of Tennessee." And he said that it all changed when I found out who my father was. And that isn't just a nice cliche. The the gospel can fill that hole in people's lives. So. If somebody felt the need, I would not begrudge them that. But if somebody says, I have found my father and I don't have to do that, I think that's perfectly fine too. Okay, I'm gonna stop right here. I'm gonna start a new Sunday school next week called Lessons in Leadership. If you are a leader in any ministry, you are a leader in your home. If one day you aspire to become a leader, I want to encourage you to be here on time and participate in this class. It'll be very, very fruitful. All right, we're going to stop. The Lord bless you this morning.